0: to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? And I say that part all creepy-like because it makes it sound cool. <laughs> Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, this is a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about horror culture and horror subjects, which could involve such uh, sub-subjects as um, offensive things. We're, we're going to be talking about things that could involve anything from rape, Murder, child abuse, suicide. There will be graphic language. So, grab all the kids and bring them on in the room and listen to some fucked up. nuts. No. <laughs> no. if that is not your cup of tea, then uh, this is this is, this is the disclaimer. That's what we're going to be talking about. Otherwise, yeah, bring the kids in the room. It's uh, it's educational. Right, Steve? Yep. Uh, coming up in the future, we're going to be speaking with authors Haley Piper, Max Booth the Third, and Sarah Lengen. After that, uh, director and producer Eduardo Sanchez, he did this thing called you know, Blair Witch Project, you may have heard of it, I don't know. Mm. But today, we have the company of Spider One, frontman for a band you may have heard of called Power Man 5000. Also producer of a couple of films, Death Valley, uh, it's a TV series actually, and I Live Alone. Welcome to the show. Hey, Spider.
1: Hey, I didn't uh, get the notice uh, in the intro email about that we're going to be talking about rape. But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it's, it's a disclaimer thing. You know, these things can come up. It, so if it can yeah. happen, we have to talk. I mean, yeah. as, it, yeah. as it does,
1: as it does, you know, um, generally. Like, um, hey, you ever um, seen
0: that movie, uh, you know, House at the End of the Street or Let's or yeah. Fit on Your Grave? There's, there's many. I was going like to say
1: there's in. many, yes. There are a lot. There's a few. Yeah. But uh, hey, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, um, pleasure. Good to be here.
2: Before we get into the meat of the interview, anything you want to pitch before we uh, get into it?
1: Wow, that's usually the end. What are you currently working on? Um, well, we, you know, uh, we
2: try to do it at the start and the end, because you never know whether okay. or not. To have any-
1: well, let's see. <laughs> All right. So uh, getting well, i um, working on a brand new Power Van 5000 record. Awesome. Halfway cool. through that. So I've been going crazy trying to write songs. have my first feature film called Allegoria, which I'm sure we'll talk about coming out in August. August 2nd, actually, getting ready to go on tour in July, doing a huge tour with uh, us, Static X, Mudvayne, and Rob Zombie, like the big summer tour. Just wrapped second feature film called Bury the Bride. We're in the middle of editing that as we speak. And in continuing our horror podcast called Bleeder's Digest, which is a a new, original, scripted, sound-designed, acted uh, horror scary story horror podcast every week so interesting
2: wow i like that title
1: yeah other than that just uh yeah probably a few other things in there too but those are the main things going on right now
2: as if that's not enough
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a few things yeah Yeah. right.
2: i don't know if mr barton had explained to you the uh, theme of our podcast here but basically what we do is questions, generally falling into three categories, childhood, teenage years, and then adult years. And then we've got some like maybe 10 follow-up questions near the end that cover your entire life. But what we're doing is we're basically trying to find out what it is that you personally get out of horror, what you personally enjoy out of horror. And we hope that by talking to as many people as we can, uh, you know, eventually you start seeing some trends and Maybe be able to have something to hand off to "quote unquote" mainstream media after you know a bunch of years of doing this to say you know horror fans have good reasons for liking the things that they like, and here are those reasons. They're understandable if you just take a couple minutes to to talk to them.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So this is your sort of psychoanalyzing for me today. A
2: little, yes. little bit. A little bit.
1: Yes. Are you, are you, are am- you part- am- are, are, amateur? Or yeah, I was going to say, are either of you qualified to do that?
2: <laughs> That's why I said amateur. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> So my background, I, um, I have had a number of years of counseling and I'm just shy of 20 years in a 12 step program. I've written a book about the stuff that I've experienced and the things I've learned. Um, Chris has got the horror background. He's a huge horror fan and, uh, has a web comic, uh, that he draws as well as his normal horror stuff. Mm -hmm. So between the two of us, we, uh, we cover both ends of that spectrum. Nice. So starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things?
1: Uh well, you know, it's funny. I I grew up in uh a small town in Massachusetts called Haverhill, Haverhill, Mass, which was about uh like 45 miles north of Boston. Uh not yeah. a heck of a lot to do there. Um, you know, small factory town. So I think for me, you know, horror and uh, just entertainment in general, television sort of like a window, TV and movies, music, comics, was a window to what is possibly out there in the rest of the world. And, you know, I think I was, I, I feel very fortunate to have grown up when I did, which is, you know, I was born in the late 60s, so I was very much a 70s, 80s kid. And, you know, looking back, I realized that so much of entertainment that was geared towards kids back then was very monster and music related, which oddly is, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of the things that obviously ended up being a part of my life forever. You know, and I think, right. that look, you know, whether it be the old Sid and Marty Croft shows, Sigmund and the sea monsters, HR uh, Puffin and stuff. I don't know if anybody remembers this stuff. If you're not old, oh, mm-hmm. you know, or the groovy ghoulies or Scooby doo and all this stuff. It was very, it was very much a combination of scary stuff and in rock music, mm-hmm. clearly. Those things were, you know, as a little kid, some of the earliest memories of, you know, a, a, as well as um, I do remember we had a a, a channel, a local TV channel, uh, Channel 56, and they would do a creature um, double feature on the weekends. Those were some of the, early, you know, getting to see, they would always play like Godzilla movies or I was a teenage werewolf or whatever, you know, King Kong. And so those movies too were certainly, you know, I would, really look forward to every weekend watching whatever old horror movies they would, they would run on, on Saturday morning. So, um, those things I think certainly were the first, very first, you know, earliest things I can remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a good time on a tradition, Saturday morning, Saturday morning cartoons. And then after that, Saturday afternoon, local channel horror movies.
1: Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's interesting when you think back of how, I mean, maybe it's the same now. I don't, I guess I don't pay as much, Attention to, you know, like children's programming, but there definitely seemed to be a just a a horror frenzy to everything, a bend to, to all you know, most stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like you mentioned even like uh Sigmund the Sea Monster and, and uh other such shows like that. Like they were whimsical in children's shows, but then they had this huge
1: hulking monster is like almost like a mascot. Yeah. You think of yeah. HR popping up with the uh with the witch the you know, with there was the witchy poo and her vulture uh sidekicks and it was you know, kinda terrifying when you look back <laughs> on it. You know? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, we've talked to just over sixty people now, and I think you're one of the first people that actually focused on some of those things, like you're saying HR Puff and stuff and Sid and Marty Croft specifically like I knew of them, but I didn't really watch those specific ones. I, this is Scooby-Doo. Obviously that one trans trans transferred over. Uh, did you, you mentioned a bunch of different stuff. Um, groovy, goolies double features, that kind of stuff. Did you have any particular favorites that you would try to seek out, you know, either every day or every week?
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, I love those ones. I love, like I, I love Godzilla movies. When I was a kid, I used to just play Godzilla with my best friend that lived around the corner uh, as early as like kindergarten. I just remember, like you know, you be Godzilla, I'll be the smog monster, and we would just go and like fight it out, and you know, Um, so those were those were like, this had a huge impact on me. And plus, as you know, from as young as I can remember, I also loved to draw. So I was, you know, mm-hmm. so I would always try to recreate these characters. I'd have, you know, I still have a lot of my old drawing books from when I was a kid, and it's just filled with monsters and, you know, <laughs> heroes. And because I, I, you know, I also got into collecting comic books at a really early age. Um, so all that, all that Marvel stuff in the seventies and eighties had a huge influence on me in creating. And I, I think for me, what you know, a lot of a lot of people grow up loving stuff or being inspired by stuff but for me i think it was the it was more of a launching pad to be get so inspired by this stuff that then you felt compelled to create your own stuff create your own worlds your own characters which you know right through the years has led to you know writing music and producing tv shows and directing movies and and it really does stem from you know i can probably count on you know the on one hand the the biggest influences in my life and they would be you know would be stuff like Stanley George Lucas you know uh, you know you have these people that through their own creations and it just it becomes ingrained in your DNA and you just have no choice but to then pursue your own path it's not enough to be just a fan you know it's almost like it's your right. your duty now to try to figure out a way to for better or worse contribute to the culture, you know, of right. horror, sci-fi genre stuff, and that you know, that's the stuff that always meant the most to me.
2: When you mentioned Stanley,
1: were you talking about Kubrick? Oh no, I mean, Stanley as a year, oh. yeah. but also Got Kubrick it. would be that would be much later. Obviously, you know, Kubrick is mm-hmm. was you know has become as far as a filmmaker, my fav, favorite director, and um, but yes, yeah, Stan Lee, meaning uh, you know, Stanley, Jack Kirby, all Got those it. guys from mm-hmm. kind of yep. yep. Cool. I mean, I, I I think I would be on a first name basis with Kubrick. You know.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. When you brought up the comics, I didn't know if you were going to go for like Marvel DC or like eerie, creepy Vampirella. But then I thought to myself, well, that might be a little, how can I say this? I don't know how many kids would have been getting their hands on eerie and creepy. You know what I mean?
1: They were around that. They, we definitely had those around the house too, as well as, um, you know, magazines like Fangoria and Starlog, and, you know, just, you know, it's really a magical time where where content was was scarce. So those things, I think, meant more to you as a kid. You know, I think mm-hmm. of the same thing with, with you know, music, where you wouldn't, you'd get a, you buy an album of your favorite band, and really that's all you had unless you were fortunate enough to go see them in concert once a year or once every couple of years, you'd have this one photograph on the back of an album and you would just become absorbed with, you know, looking at kiss alive too, and just wondering what, from from what universe these guys were from. And I think the same was true with movies and, you know, it wasn't like now, obviously where you know, you can Google any movie and pull up a thousand images and, you can watch that movie every day if you want at home you know yeah your source for that information was that Fangoria magazine or whatever tangible piece of yeah. So you, you found for it so you would hang on to the you would collect them and you would pro, you know value them and put them in bags and you know and go back and look at them over and over because yeah that the the, the you didn't have unlimited access to everything and i think there's something right. that you know that it's music and film and you know there's a certain devaluation that's i think happened over the years unfortunately um because of everything is so so yeah. accessible
2: um, yeah a lot of people don't realize just how much the internet killed uh or why the internet killed for example the comic back issue market when i was in my early 20s i worked for one of the largest uh, comic book stores in the world, uh, Passaic Comics, which if you remember the comics from the seventies, you remember the middle two pages that were yellow hmm. that listed all the for sale comics that oh, okay. was Passaic bookstore.
1: Oh, gotcha. And
2: what happened with the internet, especially eBay is, you know, previous to the internet, the way it worked was that you could only get your comics mainly from your local comic book store or the conventions that might come around once or twice a year. And so there was this perceived scarcity, which is what you were just talking about. But like when I worked at a Bookstore, they had a warehouse. I kid you not. They had long boxes stood up n wise, and you'd have one box that was nothing but X-Men 10 through 20. Jesus. And then another box that was X-Men 20 through 30. And it, like they had 40 of each. In the back, like, uh, it was surprising how much they had. And then like we say, when the internet came, then particularly like eBay allowed other sellers to then sell to each other, which completely killed that, that scarcity. But it also ties in with what you're talking about with the music too. Same thing, you know, pictures everywhere and all kinds of memorabilia. It's, it's really interesting how that, uh, democratization of information has changed. A lot of different things that you wouldn't have thought that it would have changed. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. And you would have to get very creative about consuming what you love. Yeah. I remember, I've told this story before, but I, I remember very clearly because Jaws was one of my favorite, still is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I would I would sit with a cassette recorder and just record the hmm. audio of Jaws hmm. so I could listen to it on my on when the movie wasn't on i would just listen to the audio and i I, there's probably a point at you know when i was 10 or something i probably had the movie memorized you know what i mean um but yeah so you would do things like that and i and i'm i'm sure there are other people out there that have done that would did similar things i mean that and that was when you know this when you when you do stuff like that in an early age you're clearly setting yourself up for a lifetime of obsession with uh with this kind of stuff you know
2: yeah So, did you have anybody in your um, immediate friends or family circle who was also a big fan of horror?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, my brother, my older brother, Rob.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that guy. guy.
1: (laughs) Very, you know, it's funny way to bring that up, but I mean, yeah, clearly, like that is a you know, (laughs) we, um, you know, we're only two years apart in age, so we we really Mm -hmm. grew up discovering and loving the same things at the same time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so he clearly was you know you know to even a higher degree of you know obsession than than I was because I was you know at a certain age i think more interested in going out and getting in trouble and causing causing spray painting the school and stuff like that um <laughs> as you do. He, he remained uh, vigilant in his staying in his room and reading fangoria mm-hmm. yeah but we obviously we both you know have a lot of the same loves and interests and you know um, that goes without saying, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah it's kind of funny. I intentionally try to do as little research on our guests as possible because I want to have, you know, a clean slate when it comes to interaction and whatever you say triggers whatever it does in me. But when Steve asked us about interviewing you, it, I wondered to myself if you were the original uh, vocalist for power Man 5,000. And so I decided to look that up and obviously then realized that that's mainly your gig you know, that's your thing and everybody else is the ones who have changed. But while I was scanning the page, I happened to see about, you know, your brother. And I thought, ah, oh, shit, <laughs> <laughs> like, cause I didn't want to, you know, I want this to be about you. And then I was like, fuck, how do I, you know, separate that? And then I kind of put that to the side for a bit. And then a day or two later realized, shit, we're going to ask him about, you know, people in his family
0: anyway. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> so that it's going was to come uh, out. not a manufactured leading question. We ask everybody, that. Yeah, like, did, no, you, did you have yeah. like-minded friends or family when you were younger or te- it's going to come up in the teenagers uh, too? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: you know, and I mean, in beyond Rob, I mean, I think there was, there was a, in the, certainly in the eighties when, you know, high school years, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the, uh, VHS video rental culture, you know, it was it was just get get on your bike with your friends, ride drive to the local video store and head straight to the horror sci fi section, you know, and that's mm-hmm. all we cared about. Like with you know, because it was like you felt like you were getting something you shouldn't be watching, you know, so you would always just go and look for. You wouldn't even know what these movies were. You've never no. you you know, and you just look for the most disgusting. Cover art and you it's would, got the cool and, cover art, exactly. Yeah, and everyone, like, you know, going over your friend's house and the basement and put it in, you know, you just always felt like you were, yeah, doing something you weren't supposed to be doing. And, um, mm. but it was Sometimes great. You get up. a fun
0: surprise like, uh, hey, this this cover has a robot metal claws and a bag full of body parts. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, <of course.
1: laughs> and they usually were. It didn't, I don't even think we cared about quality. It was just like everything was awesome. Like I don't remember that. You know, it's funny. that's just sparks the thought. And you know, as we sort of, sort of com- compare and contrast now with then, that's another thing I think about. Like how now everybody is so fucking critical of everything. And I, I think back to those. You know, like I loved everything. Like I just thought everything was great. Like I don't. I was not. And you know, maybe that's just an age thing. When you're when you're a kid, and but I never really like. There were things I liked better than other things. Like I knew Star Wars was better than. Battlestar Galactica, but I, you
2: know, I wonder if that ties in with what we were saying about no longer having scarcity, because mm-hmm. now that you have so much to pick from, you've got to say, okay, well, what am I going to filter out?
1: True. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also the idea that like you, 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 no one wants to watch five minutes of something and if you don't like it, you can turn it off and go mm-hmm. to the next thing. And, but you know, if you went to the video store
2: back then, then, you didn't have a choice.
1: Yeah. You made, you put in the effort to, like I said, get on your bike, ride to the store, get it, come home, you know, make, you know, you're going to watch that. You're going to watch it from beginning to end. Whether um, <laughs> you, you liked it or not. <laughs> yeah, because that was it. And generally, I think that made you like it more because it was an effort yeah. and investment you made.
2: And maybe you put it back on again a couple of days later before you have to return it because you're bored and you got nothing else to do. So you put it on, watch it a second time, and now you're picking up things that you didn't see the first time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
2: Did. Did you have anybody in your family, maybe of the generation above yours, uh, parents, uncles, aunts who were friends of horror, or was it just your, your friends group, like your age?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you know, my, uh, family, my parents and, and extended family, no one, um, you know, me and Rob were kind of weird anomaly in that weird, that <laughs> world. Like there was no, you know, cause most people i know as adults now whether they're musicians or artists or they generally go like oh my dad played piano and there was always music around the house and i you know yeah, we didn't have any of that like my parents were very like my dad just worked in a factory and my mom for most of her most of her you know until we were older stayed at home and there wasn't a lot of there wasn't any honestly any art or music around the house we we just and i think that's maybe why we became so obsessive about it was because once we discovered it on our own it was just like we couldn't get enough of it right but i do give my parents credit for never really censoring us from anything mm-hmm. we would watch anything and everything you know it, 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 probably like wildly inappropriate stuff at a very young age and either they just didn't know or they didn't care or whatever but they i i'm very thankful for that Because I got to, you know, I would be watching Clockwork Orange at 10 years old. You know what I mean? And just for whatever reason, it just clicked and I got it and it made sense to me. And uh, so I think that was just the, you know, just the unlimited access was the gateway to everything else.
2: So one of the things that has come up in other interviews is that for a lot of guests, not all of them, but some of them, there's often a dividing line where... Prior to the line, they were scared by horror, and then at some point something happened, and then after that, they started to enjoy horror. Other guests, it was enjoyment from the get go. You haven't really touched on any actual, you know, seeming to be afraid of any of the stuff that we've talked about so far. So were you enjoying it from the get go, or was there a dividing line where before that you were like, no, this actually scared me?
1: I don't, I, I only have one memory of being terrified by something, and it wasn't even watching the movie so again back to you know my age uh is it puts me in a time where i was old enough to remember when the exorcist came out in the theater Mm -hmm. for the first time and so when that came out there was so much um talk about what it was doing to people and people were having nervous breakdowns and i remember a friend of mine his mom went to see it in the theater and apparently Just lost her mind, like completely broke down. And so now I've got this movie that is just, there's, you know, (laughs) 10 years old or however old I was. Right. Just like, this is what, what is this thing, you know? (laughs) And I remember uh, at the time, like there would be TV commercials for the film, radio ads, and I was too scared to even listen to the radio ad. And I I have a distinct memory of being a little kid, sunny day, summer day in the, in the driveway playing basketball with listening to the radio and a radio ad comes on for the exorcist. And I just haul ass (laughs) and run in the house. And like, Like, I know big old. And so it just (laughs) became this thing. So it took me a while. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. Uh, And since I've seen it, you know, 10 times, but, um, but it really affected me and it, and that was more just the just the uh, the hype the hype yeah so that was the only time i think i was ever afraid to mm. to watch something
0: also being that your uh, your friend's mom was terrified by it it sounds like that kind of brings it home you know it, it it you know someone who has been affected by this right
1: Yeah, and it takes on this other, you know, this otherworldly quality. Where what if it, what if it does that to me? And what if I, you know, or Mm -hmm. I watch it and become possessed by the devil? (laughs) You know, you start. (laughs) You know, I think that's what people were actually afraid of, Mm -hmm. right?
0: Yeah, that too, because it was like it—it it wasn't werewolves or aliens. It
1: was uh, satanic possession, which kind of is a real thing in some people's faith. Yeah, and another movie. I think another movie that, I, and I was talking about this with somebody the other night about, um, there really hasn't been a movie, a horror movie, and I guess I can consider this a horror movie, that has affected the fear of culture more than Jaws, mm-hmm. because I don't think that any of us go in the water without hearing that music or thinking about the potential of a shark you know what i mean and yeah, i think right that on. one you know even though i i, I wasn't like you know I, I saw that movie as well when it came out in the theater and it scared the shit out of me but i was but it was the lingering after effect that 40 years later you were still yeah. like man <laughs> when you go in the ocean you're just like i don't know you know <laughs> that memory you know it's 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 pretty remarkable that that and again sort of your point to possession it's a real thing you know it's it's a shark it exists it is a real monster that exists in this world and so mm-hmm. I yep. think that's probably why that has has and still has such an effect on 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 the culture yeah
2: slight change of gears did you participate in halloween uh, as a kid
1: oh yeah huge uh halloween yeah, every year was a big deal yeah. halloween was uh get the shitty store-bought costumes until we got a little <laughs> older Then we would make our own We'd, we would always use these weird hybrid costumes like well i'm gonna be I, I have photos of like halloween costumes i made as a kid and they were like peter chris's makeup from kiss but he's holding a sword and you know his but it is dressed in a ninja you know it was just like, <laughs> sort of like you know, all the cool things at once and put them together you know but um did you have a favorite i mean that was uh I'm trying to think back to that was a good costume um i think we'd all yeah like doing the kiss makeup was always a big deal like who mm-hmm. are you going to be that year we you going to be gene simmons we're going to be peter chris you know uh ace really's makeup was always a little too complicated so Mm-mm-mm. getting silver makeup was not easy but um yeah oh, but yeah, that stuff was always cool. I mean, we, yeah, Halloween was great. We always decorate. Uh, you know, we turned like the backyard into a graveyard. I remember me and Rob early on, we would um, we would create uh, in our basement, like a haunted maze, sort of like a oh, super See, home- this is
0: exactly why I'm jealous of people who live in states with basements.
1: Yeah, right? Homegrown, <laughs> like Halloween horror nights, and we would charge like the local kids, like, five cents to come through and you know, you'd sit in the back of a wagon and one of us would pull you through as you know the other one jumped out and scared you so we would <laughs> i remember doing that we would build these i'm sure they were all just terrible but uh, <laughs> that was pretty cool how
2: about at least favorite costume
1: uh, oh i mean i think anything store-bought you know those ones that were like the mm-hmm. uh, plastic sack mm-hmm. the van cooper costumes those have come the- up in a few podcasts now yeah the uh plastic mask that the the uh elastic band would always break in 5 minutes after putting it on and yeah those were terrible.
2: You mentioned the kiss makeup did you enjoy the process of getting dressed up or was it was it just because you were a fan of kiss or or were you enjoying the process of doing the makeup stuff?
1: Yeah I think the, I, I think it was both. I mean obviously I was a big fan of the band as a kid but I think that that was another thing uh that was really intriguing was you know cuz because you know at this time going back to horror in particular bangoria and they really they would really uh, they would really focus on effects and gore and mm-hmm. effects artist and it was a you know you started to get to know like oh you know Tom Savini I know that name or you know you, these guys would start to become you know just as sort of famous as the actors in the movies and you would and I and I think that wasn't that was um of interest to me and I know Rob too. like just to try to build stuff or to make, you know, mm-hmm. recreate a, a, like a makeup thing. I remember one year Rob built a Darth Vader helmet out of like milk cartons, you know, and like mm-hmm. things like that, you know, so just yeah, whatever works. And again, it was like it back to this idea that like, you know, you couldn't just go to, to target and buy a Darth Vader helmet. They didn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. you, had to, you had to be creative and, and figure out ways to, to make this stuff. And so you could have more of it in your life. You know, it wasn't enough to just see the movie. You had to sort of live and breathe it as much as you could. Mm-hmm. Cool. Did you have any reoccurring dreams when you're a kid? I don't know. Not that I remember.
2: Okay. I think so. Was there ever a time when you're actually terrified of something in real life as a kid?
1: You know, it's funny. I don't ever as a kid or an adult ever really having uh, having any memories of a lot of fear you know um mm-hmm. even into like adulthood where you something you wouldn't necessarily be afraid of but even being like anxious or nervous about stuff like uh performing you know being in a band you know i know so many people that have been in bands for 20 years and they still get incredibly nervous be- before every show for whatever reason i don't i don't ever get nervous or scared or wouldn't even if it's a new situation you know I don't know why that is I think I feel like I'm more comfortable doing that than like, I would be more comfortable getting on stage in front of a 100,000 people at a festival in Europe than going to a dinner party you know I think mm-hmm. that makes me more uncomfortable than just like so yeah like I, I don't even as a kid I don't remember being terribly fearful of much you know I mean mm-hmm. I'm sure there were times I was but I mean, I'm thankful for that. I feel like, um, you know, I've I've had plenty of plenty of self doubt, you know, which is I think comes from growing up in New England, where there tends to be sort of a very self deprecating, you know, like uh, I don't know how to describe this sort of like the good stuffs for other people, you know, not us Mm -hmm. losers here, and you know, in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and so I feel like I had to I had to get over that. More than anything, just in, in you know, and that's why I feel like in a lot of things I've done. Even though I've, I feel like I've accomplished a lot of pretty cool things in my life, I feel like I've always been a bit of a late bloomer because I think I've it's taken me a while to feel like, oh yeah, I could do that too. Like that's mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. for the magical people in California or the, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. uh, so, so you know, I don't. That's not it. that
2: you're afraid of it. You just don't think that it's a thing.
1: Yeah, I think it would just seemed like that's for other people. Like that's because mm-hmm. I feel right. like that's what I was always sort of not even directly indirectly taught as a kid was just like oh that stuff's for other people you know in you know and we're here and uh, yeah it just took took a while to figure out like no like that's not how it works you just get off your ass and work really hard and believe in yourself and do do this take the steps you need to take to accomplish a goal you know
2: yeah, I remember when we interviewed. Uh, it was Kareem Hussein, who was, I think, director of photography on some Cronenberg films. That, or maybe it was the younger Cronenberg. I don't know if he worked with the older one. But anyway, you know, he talked about wanting to be a cinematographer from basically a very early age. And I asked him, I was like, "How did you even think of that as a concept?" Like, hmm. because I knew that, like, I at that age, I wouldn't have even realized that that was a possibility of like that. I didn't, I wouldn't know that that was a career. And in his case, somebody had bought him a book that was like a, a making of a horror movie. And so he had that introduction, but like, you're kind of talking about here, it's like when you don't even know that it's a possibility, like you don't know what you don't know. You know? Yeah. I mean, I
1: mean I, you know, when I think back to music in particular, you know, I think that I, I feel very fortunate at, at a, like a, in my early teenage years to discover punk rock, because that was one of those things that I, that anyone who fell in love with punk rock, it did the same thing to everyone, which was it, it, it stripped the mystery and magicalness away from music. And it right. made you say like, anybody can do this. Like anybody can get up on stage and, you know, you don't have to be, the, you know, have a beautiful singing voice. You don't have to be the most proficient guitar player in the world, you know, put two chords right. together and have them, something to say and and that's you know that
2: <laughs> and maybe not even to
1: <laughs> yeah or not you know but that changed everything for me you know because i always loved music as a kid but it just again it seemed like one of those things that that was for special people you know that was mm. you know you'd listen to to, to i don't know, elton john and you'd be like well i can't do that you know like that's like a magical thing that he can do play piano and sing like that but then you find the Ramones or the Sex Pistols or the Dead Kennedys or Black Flag, and you're like, wait. Yeah, you're minute. like, but I could do that. Like, that <laughs> seems a little bit more achievable, and it's fucking right. cool, you know? And so it's like, right. that yeah. was, and I think that, you know, that, the, the punk rock, um, the DIY punk rock aesthetic that I, that just became the most important driving force in my life has, has then translated to everything I do.
2: How old were you when you discovered that
1: i mean i was probably 13 or 14 okay. right at the beginning of probably yeah so probably freshman year in high school starting to find these bands <clears throat> and um, going to see these bands play <clears throat> at all ages shows in boston i would take the training on sundays and and i would just my mind was blown that this entire culture existed and all these bands were like doing it themselves they're making their own records pressing their handing them out in the parking lot and then there was the fanzine culture you know there are people making their own magazines just xeroxing Mm -hmm. them and it just Mm -hmm. you know that to me was the biggest lesson in life and i don't think if i if i hadn't fallen in love with that music and that scene i don't think i would have accomplished anything in life because it just Mm -hmm. it was it was the only thing that taught me that you can do whatever you want you don't have you don't need permission to start a band. You don't need permission to make a record. You don't need permission to make a movie. You know, you just need to do it. Get off your ass. Stop making excuses. Stop coming up with the 50 reasons why you can't and just figure it out. Right. And it, yeah, it all comes from, it all comes from finding punk rock.
2: This kind of ties in with moving into the teenage years, which we're about ready to do. Anyhow, Um, what it's making me wonder is, you know, in the past, some of the people that we've interviewed, some people horror has been with them through their entire life. Some people through their teenage years, they kind of divert into other things, particularly music and then come back to horror, maybe in their college years or adult years. Was horror always in your life through the teenage years or did you divert and then come back to it? I mean,
1: yeah, all that's everything remained, but I think that you do go through phases where things are more important at a certain point in your life. I mean, comic books for instance were very important to me at a very young age but then as i, I kind of grew out of it always remain had a love for it in the art you know particularly the art and you know if i even when i didn't actively collect comic books i would if i saw a comic shop i'd always go in just to look around and the same thing with horror you know it, it was always there you know but it w- might take a particular movie to come out to like re-ignite my enthusiasm and also the culture, of the, the culture of the movies changed, too. So like, um, you know, like for me, um, you know, not to jump ahead, but like the 90s when it sort of became when horror became sort of this, you know, I know what you did last summer scream kind of C, you know, CW almost feeling like it didn't it didn't interest me as much. But then fast forward horror culture changed and then you know more recently you know people i guess i call it elevated or art horror, or things like hereditary i think you know started to like whoa like this feels more in line where my head's at now you know so you know going back to younger years and teenage years i think with the explosion of star wars um and alien and all these you know science fiction for a while that really took the front seat you know what i mean Mm. because that, you know, that became such a huge thing in TV and movies. So, so yeah, yeah. to answer your question, I mean, it, 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 it was always there, uh, just, you know, certain waves of things would, would sort of take precedent over other things.
2: You did mention that, you know, with the comics and the horror, you kind of were saying you diverted it from, from a little bit, but it would, there were certain things that kind of caught itself up above your radar and then you did then pick up on it. Were there, what were some of those things?
1: So music became, I, so after high school, I graduated high school, I went to art school for for literally three months. I I got accepted to <laughs> the uh, Museum of Fine Arts and the School of Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, which was nice, a pretty prestigious school. Yeah. And then I got there and I was like, man, again, I started to fall, you know, this is when art was sort of at the forefront for me. But then I started, in, you know, fell into the culture of music and going to see shows and bands playing and I really wanted to make music, you know, so I dropped out of school and then started to focus on music and then, you know, did that. But then through that, you would, you would create artwork for your band. And so art became kind of comes back because you're drawing all these cool flyers and, you know, but then, you know, certainly, uh, like say, I remember in the early, I think it's early nineties, like comic book culture kind of came back into my world because of certain artists, like, McFarlane, and then it created image comics and these you know so suddenly this whole new vibe of over the top like ultra violent comics and i was like oh this is cool so then you know you you find the love of that again and mm-hmm. so on and so forth so you know I, I think sometimes you would the aesthetic of things would change and then grab your attention again whereas maybe it didn't the the stuff that you were into when you were 10 didn't translate to you know when you're 19 you know hmm, right Going back to the
2: teenage years for a minute, just to round out some of the questions there. So, did you continue participating in Halloween as a teen?
1: I'm sure I did. I don't have a ton of memories of that, but you know, if you're in high school or just out of high school, I mean, you're you're sort of on your own now, right? So you I, mean, I moved right. out of my parents' house when I was seventeen, I think. So I think your 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 experience of Halloween has has moved from trick or treating to more party, party. Oh, yeah. debauchery, you know. Mm. Um, <laughs> the fun all. stuff. Yeah. So I think it always, it always was there, but it yeah, the, it, the, the approach was it certainly changed, but then, you know, you go forward to adulthood and you start going to these haunts and Halloween horror nights. And especially living in LA, it's like Halloween is probably the biggest, I feel like Halloween's bigger than Christmas in LA. You know, there's like, <laughs> like not scary farm and Halloween horror nights and universal and, uh, uh, warner brothers back lot and you know it's it's crazy like it's it's awesome it's so fun. there's a
2: lot of stuff there yeah it sounds awesome. so you mentioned not really being afraid of anything through your whole life so i'll also mark that off for teens um no reoccurring
1: dreams in your teens i that i can remember i mean i uh yeah i don't know i, I guess i don't remember any of my dreams Maybe not that's every bad. question lands
2: yeah, yeah. I sh- <laughs> should have said that earlier. Not every question is going to land. We just ask because you never know. Yeah, yep, sure. All right. So, no, no horror media that really jumped out to you in your teens. Uh, I mean, you mentioned aliens. That kind of fits in there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that became. I mean that that had a huge impact on me. And that was, uh, well, that was what year did Alien come out? Uh, Eighty seventy nine. I think that was still pretty. Much a little kid. It's so crazy when I think back to the and I do the math. I'm like, really? I went to see Alien when I was like that young. <laughs> you know, it's like this. Stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah
0: parents so much, thinking
1: yeah. like you know. <laughs> but yeah, I think that you know you. I think what you know. Then you know when you talk about getting a little bit older and you start getting those you know teen, late teen, early twenties. You, you know, what's your priority? It's freedom. It's like being you know. So you're you know. Whereas media was your only window to the world for me anyway, you know, TV, movies, music was my, was my escape. Now suddenly I'm I actually can escape, right. I'm on my own and like, I have freedom now and I'm, you know, right. you're, you're sort of focusing more on that stuff. I, you know, for me anyway, hmm. just being like active in life, you know, getting out in the world and like I said, going to, sh- going to concerts and, parties and meeting you know that's the time and you know we would live in a house with like seven people and just the insanity that would ensue and (laughs) you know the amount of people that have kind of come and gone in those years is sort of Mm -hmm. remarkable you know when i think back on it
2: actually that's a good question i hadn't asked so in your teenage years did you have anybody well anybody else who was starting to also be a fan of horror other than you and your brother? Did you run into anybody else that you had common ground with?
1: I mean, always. Yeah. I mean, I had friends in high school that were two. I had a, one of my, one of the only people I still stay in touch with from high school. He always was very interested in, he wanted to, he wanted to be an effects artist and he would, you know, try to sculpt, he would, you know, always get clay, would steal clay from the art, art department in high school. And he would sculpt these like gory, you know, bases and, um, And then, uh, you know, moving on to art school and stuff, I think that generally what that, uh, that, uh, when I went to art school, it was sort of my first exposure to, which I think goes hand in hand with horror, which is sort of like the goth culture, you know, like these goth Mm -hmm. girls with their faces. Mm pale white and black lipstick and dar- dyed black hair and they'd listen to the cure and bow that's how it always starts the yeah kitty got chicks yeah. you know they so, just, yeah, so that, was a, that was a whole new thing to me because <laughs> that wasn't really that was separate from the from the hardcore punk rock culture which was you know more like shaved heads and combat boots and suddenly you know and i moved to boston i was sort of coming into this whole other culture of you know, Rocky horror picture show and this, yeah, but much in the, much more in the goth side, which, and opened up a whole new and you know whole new world to me.
2: Actually, that was another question I wanted to ask too. That you started to touch on, you know, if you moved more into music in your teens, I was wondering. So then, like, what were some of the the bands that were influential to you? Like, what was the what other media were you consuming?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many. I mean, uh, you know, I got I got heavily into. I guess I moved to Boston and I got heavily into sort of like the local music scene which was really cool like There were bands like ssd control and the proletariat and you know they they just seemed very like they were on a mission you know it was a whole straight edge movement where you didn't drink or do drugs and you know it was, it was also a hyper violent uh, environment too which was interesting which i guess if there's a sort of a thin line connected there to horror that you know you saw a lot of bad shit go down you know <laughs> you mm-hmm. saw a lot yeah. of fights a lot of, you know this was when Mosh pits only existed for a select few bands. It wasn't like now where you go see Pearl Jam and there's like <laughs> sixty year right. olds trying to start a mosh pit. You know, it's like this was back in the day when it was like you only went in the mosh pit if you were you know prepared to have your nose broken. And um, yep. a very interesting, violent culture that you know I never really put put the attachment that it is similar to a, a horror aesthetic. And of course, there were bands like. Did you find yourself?
2: Sorry, I was going to ask: Did you find yourself uh, attracted to the hyperviolence?
1: Yeah, I think I did. I think I really, I really liked the. I mean, not that I wasn't a violent person, but I liked the aggression of it. And, and you know, and, and when you're a fifteen, sixteen year old boy, like that's what it feels like in your head. You know what I mean? Energy. Yeah. It, like I have a great affection for a lot of those bands now, but like it's not something that really makes sense. For me to like throw on in the background at home, but <laughs> but but back then that was the soundtrack of your brain. You know, oh, it was right. going a million miles an hour. It was incredibly loud and angry, and it just felt, you know, it, a lot of people a lot of people make a connection to horror and heavy metal. I was less of a metalhead, uh, more of a punk rockie. But I, I see the connection. I see the connection to punk rock too. Is that it is a very mm. You feel like you're part of, which I think a lot of people feel like with horror, is you feel like you're part of a, a very taboo club, right? And it feels, mm-hmm. it's just, even though most people that are fans of this stuff are completely well-adjusted, like reasonable people, but it is a, it is an interesting feeling to be attracted to stuff that is essentially really ugly and awful and in real life, which would more than likely sicken you to death. But when it's presented in a, Fantastical way. It's just really fun, you know. Yeah, Yeah, and I I, think the music was—you know—it's more alluring. The punk rock thing was the same way. It was—you know—most of these angry, pissed off, want to tear down society kids were probably you know ninety-eight pounds, soaking wet. You know, they probably couldn't (laughs) accomplish anything. But there was just something very powerful about feeling like you were part of that world. You know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Adulthood. You mentioned hereditary, elevated horror. What else jumps out at you as being really impactful in your adult years.
1: I just I, find I've recently signed up for that letterbox app because I people always ask me, "What are you <laughs> watching?" And I'm like, "I don't know." I know I just watched 30 movies this month, but I can't remember any of them. But um, you know, I think that I, I still go back to my favorites. You know, I still go. You know, the The Shining is, in, you know, is always never lost an ounce of impact. You know, since I saw it as a kid, and, and if I watched it today, I, I, there's there's always films I'm seeing that that have impact. Like anybody, I I I, I still love a, a fun, ridiculous slasher movie. You know what I mean? But I do tend to lean towards stuff that maybe feels a little bit more adult. I don't know. Is that a bad word? I don't. Know. <laughs> you know, but no. no. the way the Lodge. More or, rated R. Yeah, like have you seen The Lodge? That was really good. With uh, yeah, that was a good one. Harley, oh, the end.
0: Like, no, no, there's no happy ending.
1: You're yeah. so those kind of, uh, I, I just like that. I like that quietness. I, you know, the, the it's you know, anybody can manipulate an audience with a, with a loud jump scare or hyper gross. Like, we watched the other night, we watched The Sadness, which was a, a mm-hmm. incredibly gory zombie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I finally just got around to watching that myself recently too, and that's um,
0: yeah, they pushed some envelopes.
1: It's insane, like insanity, right? Like, which I which I love and appreciate, but I do like I just I do like an uncomfortable tone like that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, as a kid, I used to watch um, uh, Night Gallery, which was the sort of lesser known Rod Serling show. Yeah,
0: that was the one that was uh, similar to Twilight Zone, and he would just walk past paintings, and each one had a story.
1: Yeah, so it was sort of like the horror version. If 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 Twilight Zone is sci-fi, then Night Gallery is horror. But and they weren't particularly like exciting uh, stories or gory stories or. But there was something, uh, especially when you're a kid watching it, something uh, um, undeniably like adult feeling about them, which is hard. I don't know if that makes any sense. So that in itself no. made it feel uneasy, you know, to me as a kid. And so there is something about adults being in trouble that I think is scarier because inevitably you're, those are the people that are supposed to be in charge and protect and I think that's what made the exorcist so terrifying was even though the, the person being possessed was a young child all these seemingly very capable adults were helpless you know and I think there's something about that that's really scary so I think hmm. you know I know I'm, I'm I'm rambling but um for me <laughs> it's about a tone and mm-hmm. making you feel uneasy in the moment. And I think that's ultimately the this, this scariest approach, you know, mm-hmm. that you can take.
0: Not so much the jump scare or the terror, just the, like, like you said, the discomfort.
1: Yeah. I mean, because I think the other stuff is, is effective, and, and but it's also easier to accomplish. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, it's easy if, if you're making a film and you have a very quiet moment and, and it's great and it's fun to do because I do it. I do it in the new movie we just made, but a very quiet moment. We're a very long, dark hallway, and uh, you know it's coming. The end of the yeah, hall, something's going to be there, <laughs> but you don't know exactly when, and when the sound design is done correctly and it's loud enough, man, it's going to scare you. <laughs> you. know what I mean? Mm. But, um, but, but you know, you can't have a whole movie like that. I think you need to really pick, pick your moment.
2: True. Yeah, otherwise you fatigue the audience, sort of. <laughs> No, I like actually where that was going. You kind of were saying you were going off on a tangent, but I think that actually might be going in, in an interesting direction. Um, so you're talking about tone adults being helpless and that being more scary to you. I mean, the, the logical follow-up question to that would be why, but I think it's kind of self-explanatory almost obvious. Yeah. yeah that
1: Yeah. As opposed to, you know, when you think about, uh you know, 80 slasher movies of Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street where it's, you know the 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 trend was generally dumb teenagers, right? But your expectation mm, right. with dumb teenagers was like, of course they're going to die. They're dumb teenagers. Right. Like they have yeah, no, right. they don't they're have the. they in the woods. They're going to die. Yeah. So so you you've eliminated a certain level of fear because so now it just becomes about the gross out moment or the jump scare. Because, but you know when you do put people in. Uh, you know, a, people that, like I said, are, are 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 seem very capable in life and should be able to, and just can't. You know, I think there's something really powerful about that. You know, Alien was like that when they, you know the I loved Alien in the sense that where the crew of the ship it was such a unique unique casting. You know, and uh, these people that seem, I mean, they they seemed like professionals and like they knew what they're doing. But yeah, but they they seemed like well they should be able to handle this situation, and then clearly they. Had no they couldn't mm-hmm. yeah so i think there's something you know in you know hereditary which we brought up was is, is a great example of that where it's just and it also examines you know just the frailty of family and like just how complicated those relationships can be with a horror of humanity uh, sometimes is almost as scary as the fantastical stuff just the, yeah. the life itself can just be uh, sc- the scariest element of anything else you can dream up. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going
2: to, I was going to connect this to, to her, to hereditary, but also the shining. It's also same situation with the shining, you know, adults other than Danny. I mean, all the characters in that movie are adults and there's also a helplessness compared to obviously what's going on. There's a lot of stuff going on in that movie, but it's all a lot of helplessness.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think that yeah, those two movies share uh, a lot of similarities and maybe not obvious ones, but yeah, I think that, that being one, is that the family aspect of it? Not knowing what you know the past, how much the past has to do with the scenario they're in right now. You know, the Shining is a big part of that story. Is just a very small moment, but when she explains how he accidentally broke Danny's arm, like that one moment, realizing mm-hmm. that whether that was completely by accident or you see like what he was capable of, and now what you know, where, where they're at right now with whatever supernatural stuff is starting to affect their family. But yeah, the family dynamic is, you know, is a, is such a great and kind of untapped horror scenario.
0: Yeah. There's like, there's a lot of family horror and, you know, like Texas Chainsaw style, like they all get along with each other for the most part and they inflict harm among others. But yeah, not a lot of uh dysfunctional family horror like that. Yeah.
2: Kind of funny. A recent guest of ours, they were talking about how they had a little bit of a dysfunctional family, but they would watch horror and they would all laugh at it. And I had commented during that call that it almost sounded like because one of the the you know wrap up questions that we'll ask towards the end is why horror compared to other genres isn't there aren't there other genres where you can find some of the similar things that you're finding interesting in horror? And we kind of touched on the fact that. For some of these other genres, it may have actually been a little too on the nose for their dysfunctional family to go, okay, Mm -hmm. that's actually making me uncomfortable, but with the horror, I can at least laugh at it.
1: Yeah, it could be like, well, hey, we 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 have problems as a family, but at least we're not being chased by a maniac wielding a knife, you know? exactly right.
2: and so where you're saying that's an untapped thing in the horror genre i'm wondering if there's a reason for
0: that <laughs> like,
1: yeah, right. like
2: that that um, might be a little too old. yeah
1: well it's not unlike you know uh, i know a lot of musicians that refuse to watch spinal tap because it is just too it's just too <laughs> yeah it's like it's not funny because this is yeah. what happens to me every day you know yes but um yeah, yeah i i um yeah, I was was it going to say? I had a thought, but it's gone now. But anyway, yeah, totally agree with you. Oh, I know what it was going to be when you say what why horror, and I and it made me think of something that for whatever reason you're you're attracted to the, the genre. But I do think that there is something you a bonus that you get with it, and that is the sense of community that it is is around the genre, which is the same with you know, on rock or heavy metal or like yeah, there's certain you know where you know that you. When you watch a great horror movie, you you know you're going to go online and people are going to be talking about it, debating about it. You can go to a horror convention and okay. uh, hang out with people that are like just as obsessed with things as you. Or, and I think that that's that it adds to the experience because so you're not some forms of entertainment. It's sort of like I mean, I suppose there's probably weird communities of people obsessed with like game shows or something. I don't know, but it probably not <laughs> yeah. you know. So, like, when you watch a game show, you're kind of like, well, oh, yeah, I watched that, and you're kind of in a vacuum. But with horror or sci-fi or comic books or punk rock, heavy metal, I mean, you, you really are – you you never really feel like you're you're experiencing these things alone mm-hmm. because you know there's millions of people that are obsessed with it too. I think that that adds to the the fundamental attraction – It's almost tribal in a sense. Which is why it's fun to make those movies. You know, it it, because you have a place you know, you know, you you know
2: participating in the community. Yeah, and you know
1: that there's a there's a world for you that that is sort of waiting, not waiting necessarily for my movie, but waiting for a movie, waiting for the next Mm -hmm. cool movie, waiting for the next T V show. And I think that's exciting. Whereas if you if I decided to write and direct a crime drama, I don't think I would have that feeling of excitement or anticipation because i don't know who's waiting for the next crime drama yeah they don't exactly have crime drama conventions yeah i mean clearly clear that there are fans of that of those kind of movies uh, but it's a different thing it's a different level of energy that, that exists with with genre stuff with horror and sci-fi right
2: uh, let's see. So you mentioned Halloween as an adult, Halloween Horror Night, Knott's Farm. Do you dress up as an adult or do you participate in Halloween in other ways? Uh,
1: I, I, I have dressed up as an adult. I haven't lately, but I have, which is kind of fun to stay home and just let trick or treaters come to the house, but have a really terrifying costume just to watch the, <laughs> yes. the apprehension of the kids, like <laughs> not wanting to come to the door. <laughs> But it's crazy right. because now as an adult, you know, obviously I'm still heavily involved in the scene and everything, but I have a I have three kids, but I have a, a daughter who's two and a half who is obsessed with Jason and Freddie and Ghostface and and it's not because we pushed it on her. She just started to see it around and she started you know so she is just a fanatical about it, which is kind of hilarious. So it's kind of gotten me to go back and revisit some older movies that I haven't watched in a long time. And, and she's asked for her oh. third birthday is asking for uh, Freddie and Jason birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't, I don't nice. know how the other kids are going to deal with that, but you know, right.
2: we'll see. Your favorite costume as an adult.
1: Uh, I would always do, I would just, you know, I would do sort of like a classic because I could do it myself. Like a George Romero zombie, like, mm-hmm. okay. suit with, like, you know, just zombie makeup and blood uh, dripping out of my face and um, go get some, like, great, like, rotted teeth, you know, just horrifying, (laughs) you know.
2: Easy, practical. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: all right so, no reoccurring dreams as an adult, I assume?
1: Uh, Well, I've had one recently, but that was (laughs) not reoccurring over a long period of time, but... So, we wrapped our second film, Bury the Bride, and this will be for a future podcast, but you know you've heard stories of like the making of Apocalypse Now and Jaws and like these insane like this was one of those. like it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life uh, with our schedule and the things we're up against with weather and all kinds of anyway. long story short. so sort of for a week after we were done shooting, I would have panic dreams every single night that i we weren't done shoot we weren't done shooting yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i still gotta shoot this scene and i was just like oh okay and you'd sort of come out of your fog and like okay we already finished we're good i'm good <laughs> and I, I kid you not every single night for a week straight just, just there, like, like <laughs> you're fucking uh
0: the actress for sally from texas chainsaw when she when she did the last scene she's actually that yeah frantic it's, it's, because she realized like she thought they had wrapped and they're like now we're gonna cover you in blood again <laughs> no i had uh, i had uh,
1: an actress on the latest film have like a panic attack and we really? had a we had a very near miss with a rattlesnake real rattlesnake oh, okay. we had uh hurricane force winds from the santa and we shot out in the desert so and then like freezing cold nights with the actors covered in blood and buried in the ground it was just insane like in, in our shooting schedule was all night so we we're shooting from 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. But being Oof. the producer director, I was first one in, last one out. So mm-hmm. every single night, getting home and sun is fully up, birds are chirping. Now you have to try and decompress, go to sleep for a couple of hours, and do it again the next yep. day. And yeah, it was it was insane, like full insanity. But I think it added to the vibe of the film because I think everybody <laughs> in the movie is by the end, by day six or seven, is completely lost their mind. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: I can appreciate that. I worked third shift for a couple of years and like you say it it wears on you.
1: Yeah, it's a different it it your your whole bio, of body clock is upside down and inside out. And yeah. Yeah. You start to
2: And I wasn't even a shooting a horror movie, yeah. so <laughs> you
1: just working 11.
2: No, actually that was working IT, but eh, that's horror. a whole nother conversation.
1: Yeah, I don't know which is scary. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hmm. We got a couple wrap up questions here at the end. These are covering your entire life and not just horror necessarily, could be any genre. But I'm going to ask the first two questions at the same time because it could be the same answer or different answer for these two questions. But uh, if we were to ask you, what is your favorite movie and what movie have you watched more times than any
1: other, what would you say? Wow. I think the movie I've watched more than any other would be Jaws. Okay. I don't even know how many times I've Can seen saw it. that one coming. Yeah, because if it was, if it's on, I
2: figured it was either that or The Shining. Yeah. The
1: Shining two is up there. I mean, I can tell you that probably the movies I've watched the most would probably be Jaws, The Shining, even though I haven't seen it in a while. Taxi Driver. I went through a phase where I would just watch Taxi Driver hmm. over and over and over. It's a good okay. one. Yeah. So, and those probably land in like that, and Clockwork Orange probably land in the top.
2: Well, the real the real reason for asking these questions are because it'll either underscore something you've already talked about, or it'll highlight something we haven't talked about yet and give us a chance to address that taxi driver is left left field. What What's what's interesting about that?
1: Well, I mean, I'm a huge Scorsese fan anyway, but I think that that one, you know, hit me at a certain point in my life. I mean, it, look, it is a, it is not, it is not far off from a horror movie. I mean, it's, mm. it's you know, it is, you could argue Travis Bickle is Jason Voorhees. But it is. But it also deals. It it's not that you know because it also honestly is a very punk rock movie. It's a very like loner outsider in society. Someone that doesn't doesn't view the world like everybody else seems to be viewing it. And even yeah, as a mohawk later on. I mean, yeah, it's and a very. Is, punk yeah, and it, and it is very. He's right. got like an army jacket and a mohawk. And he looks like he's in the club. Yeah. As
2: soon as you said that, I, that was the first thing I thought of too. Yeah.
1: So yeah, I mean, I think it it, it is a very very. Punk rock movie, and I think that's what appealed to me about it when it okay. when it came out. It's just like it, it you know. It, it's a, it's in the ultimate. It's like why you read Charles Bukowski when you're 20. You know, just you just feel like you know you're it's you against the world, and all you got is your beer, and you know, it's just like <laughs> similar similar thing.
2: I'm starting to see patterns here, but I'll ask anyway, just to see what you say. Uh, what, do you see any common threads about what kinds of horror you like? Uh, cannibalism, occult, metaphysical, like what's, what's your subgenre?
1: You know, I, I do love all, there's, there's great ones in every genre, subgenre. I mean, I do, but I do like, I think uh, ultimately anything that feels real. I can buy any premise, you know, just throw any weird premise you want at me. Someone's possessed or there's a zombie apocalypse or whatever. I'm on board. I'm good. You don't even have to explain it to me. But the rest of it, I really want to feel realistic. And I truly like it. could actually happen. Yeah. So I think that, I think all the movies that I love, whether it's Jaws or Clockwork Orange or Taxi Driver, I think it, you know, all very different premises and, world but in the heart of it they all feel very realistic
2: i like how you tied jaws into that because what i was thinking i was thinking two things i was thinking monsters and punk and when you said anything realistic i said okay well that there's a tie in there with punk because that's usually very realistic it is based in real life but i like how you tie jaws in with that because like you said j- sharks are real that can really happen
1: yeah, that and, and also what I maybe even more so is just the relationships with the people and the characters and uh, the dialogue. Jaws always comes up in every interview I do for some reason, but I but I always say the same <laughs> thing. Like, I don't even care if the shark does, isn't, isn't on screen. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not waiting for the shark because I'm so engaged right. in the, these three guys on this boat and like how they're all in. Three are incredibly different from three different worlds, but are portrayed in such a real way, authentic way. The situation they're put into, yeah. So I just, I just, uh, I just, I mean, I love. Look, I'm I love great dialogue. I love great characters, and to me, that's without that, you know, you can have all the blood and guts you want, and I'm going to tune out. You know, like I need. Yeah. And it comes. It's funny because it gets, Speaking of blood and guts, when it comes down to effects as well like i must i would much rather see someone in a rubber suit than a cgi monster i just it just i don't i tune out i feel like i'm watching a video game so i just i just i don't <laughs> know, i just think like things based in yeah have a real sense of reality to them
2: any idea why why it is that you like so much these things that are based in reality as compared to the other types of horror that's out there
1: i don't know i just I, i i i wonder if it is a, a punk thing i wonder if it is a I just always enjoyed the aesthetic of you know even when I was when I was younger not so much now because I'm older but like I loved being like out in the streets of Boston, co mingling with punks and homeless people and just like whatever dregs of the earth there were to be had I just I just felt like I was alive and I was participating in something and so like Mm -hmm. fantastical stuff even though i love you know stuff like that too star wars and whatever it was not really my jam and i think that's why i i leaned more even though i do you know i'm a fan of some heavy metal bands i lean more punk punk as a kid because for me heavy metal seemed like dragons and swords and stuff you know what i mean like and it Mm -hmm. just i was more into like yeah just boots on the ground kind of thing i don't know it probably all ties together somehow
2: possibly which might lead into the next question i want to ask before i ask the next really the last question um let me tell you the summary that i've I've been hearing so far if i were to summarize this call so the two things that i keep hearing are the horror community or or not even just horror community but just community in general because it also ties to the punk uh, situation like you you like participating in life with other people and then the other thing that seemed to be coming up multiple times were, was the idea of adults being helpless um, and this discomfort about that. And I think that ties in with possibly power, like the thing that, that punk and that both have to do with each other. They're almost like flip sides of the same coin. One is about power and the other is about loss of power. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so the last question of why horror, uh, obviously the part about, the community, uh, there is definitely a, a, a community with the horror realm that, that you would get that you don't get necessarily in other genres. But what about the the part about adults being helpless and, and power and lack of power? Is there something about the horror genre that speaks to you more re- relating to that as opposed to other genres? Because I think there are other genres that could potentially touch on that stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there are. But I think that when you were asked the question about what is scary, you know, essentially, you know, not over mm. I think that that was initially what popped in my head. But it's interesting that w- listening to you say these things back, yeah, it makes me realize there are these these dots are connected. And if I did find that to be even subconsciously, like, scary, the answer to that is like this punk rock DIY aesthetic, right? Because you will find a way to succeed you will find a way to accomplish and so maybe i'm fine maybe i'm just balancing these <laughs> these two things out in my own brain you know to, hmm. to try to like succeed in life but um i don't know why that uh that was the first thing that came to mind i mean i wonder if i have uh, you know, some deep-rooted childhood things where i felt like my uh, parents weren't uh in control or something i don't know you know who knows man it's like oh actually i'm
2: glad that you said that because <laughs> it reminded me of uh, something that I wanted to mention, but didn't. So there was some stuff that you had talked about uh, relating to growing up in that small town in Massachusetts. And then it, you didn't say this word, but I kind of got the vibe that you might use the word bland. Uh-huh. Like, and then sort of like escaping from that to the bigger town and becoming part of something bigger. Like that was part of the community aspect too.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, to, to, yeah, you didn't, it felt very, and I'm sure a lot of people grew up in their hometown. True. You know, like yes. There is a, this is a dead end. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um,
2: but the life affirming part that you were just talking about where, with the power, I think that also ties in with the coming into the community. I think I find that also to be life affirming.
1: Yeah, you could be right. I think there was, yeah, there was, in a, in a certainly a community in an, like for me in particular, and I think because of all the, the visual aspects I would, would get from TV, film, and music videos was very, very urban-based, you know, so I always wanted to be, like, in a city and around a lot mm. of people and a lot, a lot of diversity and the energy. in danger to a certain... I remember the, one of the first times I went to visit Rob, he had moved to New York, and this was back in New York in the 80s when it was very much like Taxi Driver. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the first... Days I went, we were walking down the street, and a car pulled up, and a guy uh started waving a gun at us. Huh. And, oh, and nice I was, from New York, I, huh? Yeah, and I but I was like, oh my god, this is awesome! <laughs> <laughs> You're right. like, shit, dude, we're being held at gunpoint in New York City. Yeah, wow. I was like, would this be any better? It was kind of like in Tommy Boy when the deer comes alive and rips the car apart. And Chris Farley's like, that was awesome. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like I was terrified, but then I was like, I can't believe that just happened. It's exactly what it was supposed <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I the, was- yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I think unless,
2: you know, the, I guess real last question is, is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't talked about relating to this stuff that you think is relevant?
1: I don't know, man, yeah, this I was, it was, this first, was a, sure. I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I didn't, uh, just like you didn't do a ton of research about me. I didn't do it. I didn't know what I was in for. And uh, <laughs> a lot of podcasts, you know, are just kind of like shooting the shit about whatever. And I thought it was just pleasantly, right. uh, surprised that we're, we're diving this deep. So it was just kind of fun. Hmm. Um, now I'm yeah, all day. Yeah. I'm going to be like thinking about myself a little differently. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, that's part of the goal. Yeah. Yes. yeah.
1: But, um, no, I think we got, I mean, I, you know, I just, uh, I, now I urge anyone listening to this on to watch Allegoria on August second mm. on Shutter because now you can psychoanalyze the movie now that you know me a little. bit. There you go. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you can kind of use this as a, as a guide as you're watching the film. By the way, I yes. did look that up, and uh, I love the cover art. It's awesome. Oh, great. well, Allegoria is a story. I mean, it's interesting because it is about it's a it's it's, it's a horror movie, but it, it it functions in the world of art. So um, mm. it it deals with all these these uh, you know. These different art forms Hence the artists. title yeah so uh, you know there's a, a story about a, an actor a story about a painter and um, okay and I think that what's interesting about that is I because I, when I when I was writing the movie I was started to realize that a lot of terminology and that's used around art is very similar to horror you know like the tortured artist right the suffering mm-hmm. for your art you know sell your soul for success and I and it's sort of like mm-hmm. The you know this this idea of being you know haunted by your own ego and insecurities and so that's what this movie dives into. It's very like a you know so these you know of course it, because it's a horror movie we take these these manifestations to a whole other level of horrible things that happen to these people. But so yeah, it's an interesting uh, connection to all the things we were talking about. Just this like, this self-realization of certain things. If you are trying to live a creative life.
2: There is some lyrics I wrote many years ago that included the line "I'm only creative when I cry, when a piece of me dies."
1: Yeah, yeah. well, that could be the that could be the uh, poster tagline for allegory. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, God.
2: Well, thank you very much for your time. I, you know, I was going to ask you if you wanted to plug anything on the way out, but you kind of touched you on just that already. A but- with it. Yeah. What else did yeah. you say you were working on? You get the podcast? Yeah, um, we've got
1: a podcast called Bleeder's Digest, which is great, original, scary stories. It's D-I-E, yes. By the way, if you look it up, Bleeder's Digest, get
0: it? Ah! Yeah. better. Sure, um, pun and nice. a... It's like a pun within a pun. Yeah,
1: and yes. then, uh, like I said, Allegoria is my first feature that's coming out August 2nd. It's going to be in a Shutter exclusive. I don't know if anybody... If you don't know what Shutter is, it's a basically like... the or netflix streaming. yeah so it's a streaming yeah. platform but it'll also be available via vod and all that kind of stuff and probably maybe some limited theater stuff to be to be announced cool cool and then um yeah just wrapped the second feature called bury the bride and that will be out whenever it's done and uh yes <laughs> on the road this all summer long on the uh freaks on parade tour so, yes yeah. that sounded good too yeah that'll be fun
2: well Again, thank you for your time, and thank you to anybody out there listening. Um, Before we end the call, I want to share with you something funny that happened after the call finished. So after we got done, we all hopped offline and went about our business. I started editing the episode. I got about halfway through it and decided I was going to go lay down and take a little bit of a rest because I didn't sleep too well the night before. So I'm laying there in bed thinking about, how fun the call was and how how well it went and how I had a nice summary at the end. And I started reminding myself of what that summary was. Punk rock equals energy and power. Helpless adults equals loss of energy or power. Wanting to be part of a community, something larger than yourself, again, equals energy and power. And that's when it fucking hit me. Dot, dot, dot. Power Man 5000. It was right in our fucking face the whole goddamn time. I was so fucking pissed I had to get up, send a message to Chris and to Spider and share with the, that with them. We were, we were so pleased at how well the conversation went and how nicely it turned out at the end that we missed the last little linchpin that would have brought it all the way home. Uh, well, that's what happens sometimes. You don't think about it until after you're already done and as that saying go in French, the spirit of the stairs, you uh, you don't think about it until you're just about out the door. Oh, well, better late than never, right? Well, again, thank you for your time and thank you to anybody out there listening. Um, please do come visit us at com. We've got a list of people there that we'd like to interview. Uh, let us know if there's anybody you'd like to have added to the list or if you can help us get in touch with any of those people. Other than that, uh, if you like what we're doing, just tell a friend.